But one thing we noticed was our top 10% of properties are performing better than ever. They're doing amazing. And they've got really special things about them. They're the top 10% of properties in our area. And for that reason, they're being rewarded. But those bottom 20%, you know, they, we had to kick them out to make room for some better properties. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Hi, great to listeners. If you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801 801- 312-9482, or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, Migrate Wealth listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to bring to you Kyle Stanley, who is a CEO and founder from Fearless Investors. He leads Fresno's STR Rentals, man of many trades, man of many uh, talents, and above all, a good human being. So uh, what I wanted to sh- share on, on this, what I thought about sharing uh, on this real episode is, you know my background, for those of you who've been following us, I was at Airbnb for five years up until last December 2002, and my, I, I was serving in the capacity of business operations leader, trying to make sure that everything runs smoothly, right? And when, I, when Kyle Stanley's uh, portfolio came to me, I'm like, you know, this is the guest we really want to have in here because... When we talk about Airbnb, everyone has a different perception of Airbnb. Some thinking about a beach vacation on the Hamptons. Some are thinking about Smoky Mountains. Some are thinking about your bed and breakfast. There's a lot of different connotations. And everyone's coming from the right place for what is a short-term rental. And that's one aspect of it. But on underneath of it, there's actually multiple business models. There's arbitrage and there is fractional ownership. A lot of different ones. So we thought about, we'll focus on what has worked for Kyle and how he found it, right? Because uh, that's the most important thing. You have to look at the Airbnb as a portfolio of different business models, portfolio of different SKUs. You have to figure out, well, mix and match what works for you and for your own purposes. So with that lens, let's jump deeper into it. I'm really excited to bring, to introduce to you, Kyle Stanley. Kyle, my friend, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Socket. Yeah, I mean, just like what you said, we got to look at this from a lot of different angles, especially in real estate investing. There's also a lot of different angles and just short-term rentals is a niche in itself. So figuring out which route is best for you, I'm excited to talk about that today. So Kyle, tell me one thing, man, before we get deeper into your story, the word migrate to wealth, what does that mean to you? Yeah, man, I, I was going to ask you this question, actually. <laughs> it's a cool title. and I, I beat you to it, man. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that comes to mind is uh, a friend slash mentor of mine early on in real estate investing, he said, you got to change your money mindset. And what he meant by that is just changing the blueprint of how you view wealth and how you view money. Because a lot of us, we have these bottlenecks, we have these things about the way that we view wealth, the way that we view money, misconceptions, right? False beliefs. And we have to change that. And we have to start attracting wealth. We have to start learning how to be a person of attraction to be able to say, okay, I got to change the way I look at money, change the way it's not as hard to get as I think. It's actually easy to get, and now I need to go find how to be able to get that money that belongs in my pocket. And, and that was a big thing for me of you know, just migrating my mind from person who was a struggling entrepreneur for 10 years thinking it's hard to make money and migrating it over to, actually, it's quite easy to make money. I just need to change where I'm putting my efforts in. Yeah, and I love that. Thank you, Kyle, for... Actually, you teed it very well. The next question was going to be your story, which is perfect. Yeah. And you said it right. I think a lot of it is in the mindset. Right? A lot of this is air. And I can't remember who I was listening to. Was it Tony Robbins? I can't remember who I was listening to. There's a podcast I was listening to a few days ago. And one of the things they talked about is money is created. I think it was Robert Kiyosaki, actually, not Tony yeah. Robbins. Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he was talking about money is created here. 
We think money is created by doing things. Money is actually created with a very small space between the two years. I'm paraphrasing what he said. And that's exactly what it said, what you said, right? That creating money is not that hard, but trying to figure out how to create money takes a long time. I'll try to break that limiting belief that creating money is hard or you have to completely alter who you are and you start cheating people. I know what, everyone has a different belief of how the money right, is made. Right, yeah. But it's important. So you tell me your journey of how you broke out of that belief because that's a very important aspect. It's easy for me to say, yes, break out of it. But it'd be good yeah. to understand your story, how you broke out of it. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. I never shared this part of my story, but when I was a kid, you know a lot about who you are today when you look back at who you were as a kid. And when I was six years old, I was telling everyone that I wanted to be an orthodontist. And people were like, why do you want to be an orthodontist? And I'm like, because my cousin's an orthodontist and he gets Fridays off and he makes bank. (laughs) And I, at the time, you know, I saw him uh, traveling. I saw him taking Fridays off. I saw him having a pretty chill job because of his, uh, you know, his assistants, his dental assistants were the ones doing most of the work. And I just remember being like, that's cool. You know, like, and as a six-year-old, right? Six, seven, eight years old, this is what I was telling people. And then somewhere along the way, I became a huge baseball fan and I decided to start following passions. And my passion was baseball and decided that it was the best route for me to either become a major league baseball player, which I'm 5'9", 160 pounds. It's just not going to happen. And so then I decide, well, you know, what else am I good at? I'm pretty decent at talking. How about I just talk about baseball? How how about I become the baseball broadcaster? And getting into that path and essentially sacrificing money for a passion, I went down this road of like, I don't care how much I get paid. I just want to do something that I love. And I keep hearing from people, if you do what you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. And that's wrong. That's, it's completely false. That's a completely false statement. And here's why. When you do something you love, you'll work harder than anyone else. But when you do something that you love, you'll also sacrifice a lot of other things to do that thing. Correct. And what I was sacrificing was honestly a paycheck to even know how to live. Like my first job out of college was 50 hours a week and I was making $19,500 a year. And that was as a sports anchor for a local TV station in Grand Junction, Colorado. And at some point in that, I realized two things. Number one, you don't have to do what you love in order to be happy. You just have to create an income that gives you the time freedom and financial freedom to have more time to go do the things that you love. And I'll tie that back together when I tell you how I got into short-term rentals. But the other thing was, I don't like taking orders from other people. <laughs> that was the other realization yeah, I had. Yeah. And you, you call that an entrepreneur, right? So I decided at that point, I was 22 years old. I wanted to start a business. I had no idea what kind of business I wanted to start. But all I knew was that if I wanted to take control of my lifestyle, I had to not wait for that next job to open up or wait for meeting the right person in order to get that next job opportunity. I had to create a job opportunity myself. And so that's when I became an entrepreneur. I was at 23 years old. I started my first business. And I can tell you for the next six years, I barely made ends meet, right? I was, and I was justifying socket. I was justifying that at least I'm working 70 hours a week for myself and not working 40 hours, 50 hours a week for someone else. That was how I justified it. But at some point you start to look at, all right, I don't want to own a job. I want to own a business and I don't own a business. I own a job. I'm, I am the technician in my business. If you've ever read the e-myth, that's you yeah. know, the, the, the term that I'm using there. I don't want to be the technician. I don't even want to be the manager. I want to be the entrepreneur. And how, how do I do that? And I, you know, long story short, my dad in 2019 went into hospice at home hospice and had about three or four months left to live. And during that time I had to shut down everything. I had multiple streams at that time, which is why I was working so hard, but I t- had to shut down a, one of my businesses. I had to tell my team and my multi-level marketing company that I was having to, to move off to the side to be with my dad and everything crumbled pretty much overnight. And, but the bigger thing was during that time, as I saw this income starting to go down, I knew I needed to find something passive. So I just started Googling passive income and real estate kept coming up. And for the next three months, I was just you know, trying to figure out which strategy I was going to go in. Am I going to buy apartments? Am I going to do wholesaling? Am I going to do flipping? Am I going to do 
Subject two, what am I going to do in real estate? And one day I just decided I'm going to flip houses. Well, that flipping of houses started. And by the way, I dropped $30,000 in education. I decided I needed to put some skin in the game to take this thing seriously. And what, About, what year was that in Kyle? That was in 2019. Got it. Yeah. And so at the end or in the middle of 2019, I'm flipping my second house. I decided to hold on to it as a long-term rental. And right before the renovations ended, I said, what if I did this as a short-term rental? And I'm in Fresno, California, and people are like, but you know, there's no vacationers in Fresno, California. Right. You know, there's nothing going on there. And I said, well, I'm not doing vacations. I want to do short-term rentals. I researched. I looked it up. I saw that people were booking these. I saw there was over 200 short-term rentals in Fresno. And I said, it's, it's working for some people. It's got to work for me too. And tripled my income in month one of doing it as a short-term rental compared to a long-term rental. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I I've got my hands on something here. And so that was my first deal. And now we're at 50 today, most of which we don't own. Awesome. So Kyle, a lot to unpack here. Before we go forward, we're going to go multiple steps back. I think one thing you said there, which was so profound, especially for somebody who's actually looking at this for the first time, which is do what you love, right? Yeah. Everyone says about do what you love. And I love your perspective on that. Do what you love when you're meeting your ends, when you're making it, yeah, yeah. right? Where... Following your passion is great, but going back to the Maslow's hierarchy, making your ends meet, making sure you have food on the table, making sure you have clothes, your house, it's even more important. Yes. Uh, especially, it's the sad part, but that's the world we live in. And whether it's right or wrong, that's a very different podcast. You need okay. economic means to be able to even survive, not just thrive, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like what you were saying about is you were working 50 hours and yeah, you were making money. But you're also, now one thing that but that struck me, struck me very well about your story as a child was you actually didn't care about being an orthodontist. What you cared about was the Friday being off, right? What yeah, you cared yeah. about with the money, the freedom. And I, you probably didn't have words to describe what you really meant. That was a proxy for you to have right. that life. And which is amazing now because as a six-year-old, you're thinking, well, you're, you're getting an intuition that that's important for you to do. And then you found your passion about baseball. But of course, it's not going to give you an orthodontist lifestyle. When I say that, not about money, it's about the freedom, right? It's because every hour you work is every hour you work. You can't hire an assistant who'll do the work for you and get the time back. And now you actually, since last three, four years, you're able to create that now. It seems like the short-term rentals, this, uh, the, and we'll talk about those models, has actually given you a stream of income coming in where you're able to now behave like a true entrepreneur who has created a visionary, who has, going back to Emit book, I love that book. For those of you listeners who have not read that book, read it. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, it'll still help you, give you a different perspective of the world. Now you're a true visionary and you got integrators and people underneath of you. Now you're able to get back your time. And I'm going to spoil the suspense here you actually have since started baseball podcast. Yeah. Right? Which is amazing. Yeah. Now you're, everything is coming full circle. You got, you yeah. found your orthodontist practice in short-term rentals. You're <laughs> doing what you love, which is great as the passion project because now you don't have to worry about making money through baseball. You don't have to kill that passion. You're still able to live that passion. I think that's really a great message. And thank you for sharing the story, Kyle. Yeah, well, just to go a little bit deeper, and, and I said something that I want to dive a little bit deeper in. I heard this from someone else, so I'm not going to claim the motto, but it's when you love something, it's not that you don't work a day in your life. When you love something, you'll work harder than anyone else. And I think in order to get to that point of doing something that you love without a, having to attach a result to it is when you finally have found freedom. I I met so many people in my life. I, again, I was in the multi-level marketing industry for a long time. And it was in health and wellness. And every personal trainer and gym owner and person that was helping other people to reach personal fit fitness and health goals, I asked them, if you didn't have to make a single dollar for the rest of your life, if money was not an issue, what would you be doing? And they all said the same thing. They said, well, I'd be doing the exact same thing without having to worry about making money. They have a passion for it, but then they decide, well, I'm going to take my passion and make money with it. And now they're stressed. They're burning the candle at both ends. They're wondering why in the world they turn their passion into an income because they're miserable. And now they've attached this negative feeling with what used to be something that they love. And that was me in the baseball world 
when I had to make money to make ends meet, I went from being this huge, passionate baseball fan to being exhausted after a 10-hour workday and not wanting to even turn on ESPN because I was like, I don't want to touch it. I was just doing that all day. I, I'm, I'm over that because now I look at that and say that passion that used to be something that I love is now only making me $8 an hour and I'm, and I'm mad at it. And right. so I've been able to create this business that at one point, and this is something I'm also really passionate about is the mental health side of entrepreneurship, that at one point, you know, we have these act sharpening moments in our lives. One of the major ones that I just talked about was when my dad was on his, his deathbed. That act sharpening moment for me was stepping back from my businesses and seeing if I keep on doing what I'm doing, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not ragging on my dad, but my dad worked until the day that he couldn't anymore. Yeah. Not out of will, but out of necessity. And I don't want to do that. I want to work because I want to. So how do I change that? And that was that moment where basically God told me like, you got to sit down and look at like what you're doing wrong and how to change that situation. And that's where real estate came to me. Well, my newest act sharpening moment has been, well, I've built this business. We just had our first daughter. I'm married. Congratulations. Thank you. We've, had, we've already started our dream life and I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, now what? And I had to take a step back and come back to my passion I used to have and say, now I can do this passion, this thing within baseball without having to worry about making a dollar. Yeah. And I've been doing it now for about four months. And it is true. When you love something, you will work harder than anyone else. And I can tell you without attaching the result to my passion, it's allowed me to just fully dive into this passion project. And I don't, you know, I, I keep having to tell people, I'm like, I'm fighting that entrepreneurial side of me that says, how do I make money from this? Because I don't want it to be that. I want it to be something that just straight up is a passion project. And so when you can get to that point, when you can create a business. And by the way, guys, like those of you that are listening, I think we make financial freedom way bigger than it, than it actually is. What, what are your monthly expenses? What are the things that have come up that you don't expect? Yeah. Probably happens once or twice a year. What does that income look like every year? And now how do I create some sort of income that matches what my monthly and yearly expenses are without having to put a whole lot of effort into it and I've reached financial freedom. And now mm -hmm. I can go do the things I love or I can take that business that's at, you know, a uh, basement floor right now and now 10 exit and live the lifestyle that I want to take my family to, right? Like right. that's as simple as it was. All I needed was $5,000 a month when I first started in short-term rentals. If I got $5,000 a month, I had financial freedom and now we're a lot further than that today. Yeah. And I always tell people, and, and, and thank you for bringing the financial freedom term because it's such a misused term. People think that they want to have $150,000 a month coming in to, uh, to have right. a lifestyle. I, I think it's really, and again, I can't remember who, this is not my this is not me telling you uh, what I'm saying. I think I borrowed or stole from someone. I can't remember who I stole from. But it's really three levels of financial freedom, right? When we, when we simplify it, it's your financial stability, which is the exact model you described. Hey, you know what? How much money do you need for food, your clothing, your basic expenses? You may not be taking $100,000 vacation, but that's not the plan for that. At that level is, what's my floor? You want to set right. your floor. Your floor was 5000 Once you hit that floor, you knew at least for the next few months to few years, may not be lifelong, your floor is set. Things may, things may come up, something unexpected may happen, and that may shift. But you could see a vision, it's not going anywhere. Now you're saying, okay, now I'm able to take a little bit more risk. Now I want to have the life I wanted, which is I want to take a $100,000 vacation. Okay, let me strive for that. But your floor is set. You're not going to fall below the floor at that point. You're, you right. you're increase your floor from zero or negative to now 5000 so now you're teaching, now you're reaching a financial freedom level. And then there's an ultimate level, which is financial independence, where you have so much money that you can now do, do things that you don't even think about doing, right? Whatever that looks like for you, you can figure that out. But most people, when we talk about financial freedom, are actually envisioning stage three, which is, I want to have so much money that I don't know what to do with it. Right. And, and going from nothing to that, it feels like a marathon when all it has yeah. to be is one lap around the track. Correct. And I think it's as simple as, hey, do I even know my monthly expenses? Most people actually yeah. don't. 
Yeah. Most people don't have so many friends. They're like, wait, I don't know, maybe 5,000, maybe 20,000. I'm like, that's a huge number. If you said five or six, that's different. Uh, so socket, I mean, nope. It, that's one thing, but how about daily expenses? Like when you, and this is, yeah. this is where, when I was in 2018, that's when I started seeing like, okay, I'm actually starting to be able to like save a little bit of money. This was before I got into real estate. I got to a point where I literally knew with my mortgage, with my utilities, with my eating habits, everything that if I could make $40 Sorry, sorry, sorry. If I could make, it was $100 a day that I would be coming out in the green at the end of every right. month. Right. Because I knew all those expenses. So I would track those things. And I would, and then I took it one step further and I took out my mortgage because that was the expense. And I just said, okay, what about just those things on a daily basis that when I'm driving all around town and I right. want to go and stop and get some food, I got it down to my variable expenses needed to be under $17 a day in order to be in the green by the end. Amazing, of the man. And, and that helped me decide like, okay, am I, and, and, you know, I, I want to say one more thing about this because this isn't how everyone should think, but that got me at least clarity on what my expenses were to know, like at that point in my life, that's what I needed to be spending on a daily yeah. basis at most. But I changed that mindset very quickly to be one of offense, not defense, right? That, that's a defensive mindset. That's a, how much am I spending? How much am I allowed right. to spend? Let me now go and save money at Starbucks instead of buying, you know, the tall, I don't even know. I don't go to Starbucks. Instead of buying the large, I'm going to buy the small, you know, whatever those, they call them over there. I think it's grande and, and tall. And so- That's it, Kyle. We can't be friends anymore, man. I'm yeah, joking. sorry. I, I don't do coffee. <laughs> but when you instead go from, hey, I'm going to try to save money or try to not spend so much money to now saying- Hey, let's go and create that income. Now that's a instead of addition and subtraction, now it's multiplication. And now we can get on offense. And you know, the the best teams out there have a good offense yeah. and a decent defense, is what I would say. I still have those yeah. moments where I'm like, okay, I have to play defense every once in a while, but most of the time I'm playing offense. It is, yeah. I know this is not a personal finance podcast right now, because this episode is not. So we're gonna jump into Airbnb, but I think it's more I always think look at the to make money. And to live a life, you have two components to it. And it's very simple. It's income. It could come from your active, passive investments, whatever. Income and expenses. After a certain point, you cannot reduce your expenses. It's laws of diminishing returns, right? So at some point, you can go, you, whatever works for you, you can do monthly level, you can do weekly level, you can do daily level, you can do hourly, you can, whatever you want to work. But at some point, you'll realize Okay, it's now worth cutting more expenses. However, on the flip side, but you still need a defensive strategy to make sure you're not spending. There's no, there not a lot of major leaks in your uh, in your exp on your expenses side. But on the income side, it's actually unlimited. There's no cap to income. You can yeah. make a million dollars. You can make a twenty million dollars. You can make two dollars. There's really no cap on the income you can make. So at some point, I want you to quickly think about it as you want to get control of your expenses. Not reduce it to minimum. Yeah. Because then you may start thinking about life's not worth living, especially if you have other people in your lives. Their their vision of life may not be living frugally at two dollars a day. You could, but it may not be their life. Right? So you have to you have to figure that out. But on the income side, so I want to switchly start so focusing on shifting from get control of your expenses, get a floor of I need five thousand, I need two thousand, I need twenty thousand, whatever that number is, get that floor established pretty quick. Don't spend months in establishing that floor number. And then let's figure out on the income side what you can do. So let's switch gears here, Kyle. Off. Let's talk a little bit more about how did you, what was the aha moment? You talked about the aha moment that you were tripling your income from what you could have gotten from the shot from the long-term rental to yep. now converting to a short-term rental. Explain us that model. What model did you use? And why didn't you want to go to the Smoky Mountains vacation rentals versus I just want to do short-term rentals in my local city? Give us that model. Well, it was working. I mean, you know, don't fix what ain't broke. So the first thing I'll say is, you know, I, like I said, that first property I owned and I tripled my income in year or in month one, I was supposed to net $600 as a long-term rental. I ended up netting $2,000 as a short-term rental. So what happens when something, you know, that that's acceleration, right? Like I've got friends that own 40 properties who are bragging about $8,000 um, yeah. cash flow. And I'm like, 
I I just did two thousand dollars with one property. Like right. I'm gonna be where you're at with a tenth of the properties. Right. Right. And so and again, all I needed was five thousand dollars. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm forty percent of the way there. So how do I go and get more? Well, I found that one. That was an off market deal. I ended up burying the property. And so I was like, I need to go get more Burr properties. Burr is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So no money in the deal, basically. Raise the money, refinance it, paid off the loan. But as I was like, you know, Googling and listening to podcasts and everything about short-term rentals and how I can do better at this, this one podcast came up about this guy that was in Southern California and he was renting out apartments and then subleasing them on Airbnb and he was only paying for the furniture and the rent. He didn't own the property. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. So he literally just had a conversation with the landlord or the leasing agent, was able to move in a week later and was cash flowing without renovations, without buying the property, without anything. Within two weeks, he was, he was making money and all he had to invest was about eight to $10,000. Major light bulb moment for me. But, the, but I, 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 it was so good that I didn't believe it, Socket. I called Airbnb and I was like, hey, you need to have the, the deed to the property in order to, to list it on Airbnb, right? They're like, no. I was like, so I could list someone else's property and you don't care. They're like, yep. I was like, okay, but how many properties can I actually list on Airbnb? There's a cap, right? And they were like, no, there's no cap. It's like, oh my God, this is this is real. Yeah. So started talking to landlords. It was not as easy as I thought. And you had to have the right language. You had to, you know, show all of the benefits. You had to really dive in. And so I after swinging and missing a couple of times, I went and bought a course. And that's what really helped me to understand the script and understand how to say it. Got my first one under contract, started making about $1,000 on that one bedroom, one bath here in Fresno after all expenses and got about six arbitrage deals. And then a funny thing happened, Socket. I was harboring all of that. Like I'd go to meetup groups and people would be like, so what do you do? And I would be like, I flip houses. And meanwhile, I'm over here like, I'm not going to tell you yeah. about my little golden goose over here. And then I was at a meetup group and my friend Jason Pritchard, who is one of the most successful real estate investors here in town, he was like, you got to have an abundance mindset. He's, he's telling this to a group of 100 people, but it was like he singled me out. He's like, you got to have an abundance mindset. You have to trust that whatever you put out there is going to be returned 10x, but you cannot expect anything in return. So if you have something good, don't hide it. You need to tell people about it. And I was like, oh, he's talking to me. And so I yeah. I started telling people about it. And the funny thing that happened was people started coming to me and saying, how are you doing that? And my immediate red flags of like, this is what I didn't want to have happen. I didn't want to create competition. I didn't want to create all these people doing the same thing as me. But when they found out how much goes into it, they were like, hey, instead of me doing that, can you just do, can it, you just for do it for me? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I guess I could. So and I was like, so you're saying you would pay for the furniture, you'd pay for all the expenses and I would just do the day to day. And they were like, yeah. And so I, I penciled out some numbers and I was like, yeah, I, I think that works. And so that's what we call co-hosting, uh, managing for other people's short-term rentals. We charge now today 25% of the gross income collected. So if we collect $4,000, we pay out $3,000 to the owner, we keep a thousand of it. That's the 25%. And we don't have any risk involved. We don't own anything. We don't pay for anything. And we just operate the day-to-day. -day. So 35 of our 50 properties are in that co-hosting model. And what's great about that model is what happens when a real estate investor, a lawyer, a doctor who are all busy hire you and you start making them more money, they're going to go tell their doctor friends, yeah. their lawyer friends, their real estate investing friends, and it, it just spreads like wildfire. So that's been how we've really blown up the business. I love that, right? So I think there's, again, different ways to, different ways to make different monies, and you have to figure out what mm -hmm. works for you. But Kyle, and I'll actually use a layman language to give people a comparison of what exactly you do as compared to long-term rentals. You're basically a property management, property manager for other people right. who want to do their long-term rentals, right? And of course, yeah, the, uh, yeah. the short-term rental space is different. The co-hosting model is the right term, but I want to make sure people can relate to what exactly is the model. The model is property management. For those of you who have short-term rentals, who have who have rental properties, um, even if one or two, property management, and you're doing self-property management, property management is hard. It's not an easy work, right? So again, trying to make sure that I give you a perspective that don't jump into being a co-host tomorrow. You have to make sure you understand the model. You have to make sure you understand what goes into it. Like Kyle's 
Kyle was talking about his uh, folks at the real estate meetups. Once they understand how much work is involved and running Airbnb, I'm telling you today that I am, I, if anyone knows about Airbnbs right now, it's going to be me who spent five years running that, running that place, right? So if, if and if when I had a decision to make back in December, do I want to open up my Airbnb fund or not, a short-term rental fund, I'm not going to do the property management. I need to go find a partner who is actually good at it so we can we can do the right thing for our investors and do that. And right now I have a short-term rental fund, but I don't operate that. But that was my choice. I'm not saying you should do that and you should follow my model. You have to figure out what works for you. And Kyle, how did you understand what gets into it? I know you talk about a course. Did you talk about a course how to arbitrage or did you talk about a course how to co-host? What kind of yeah. learning you had to take? I thought I was the only one doing co-hosting because I literally just created that in my own market out of a need. I didn't mm. do that because I went and got a course and said, hey, here's this co-hosting model. I only knew about owning and arbitraging. And then when I found out that, you know, it was probably my third or fourth co-host deal, I, you know, I was calling it property management. Yeah. I started hearing about other people talking about co-hosting. I was like, oh, I do that. Like, I didn't know other people were doing that. So- I really thought I, I, I thought I was the inventor of the lawn. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that was me. But yeah, to, I mean, to answer your question, I had a, you know, the, the one piece that's missing here, I was doing Airbnb as a room out of my house from okay. 2015 to 2019. So I had the understanding of the interface, but in my mind, all I ever thought of with Airbnb was, oh, it's couch surfing. It's, you know, someone always yeah. has to do it. Yeah. You know, no one's going to ever want to do an entire house. And when this opened up, that's that was an entire new business because I don't live at the property. I have to hire a cleaner. I have to create systems around checking for inventory and checking for damage and hiring people to do communication for me. And like you, I didn't partner with a management company or a management partner. I just created out of understanding the model and creating some systems, I created a team under me that now operates this on a daily basis. And I really, I mean, I used to say I work three to five hours a week. Now I'd be surprised if it's one to two hours a week. I, I meet with my team on Mondays and they take care of everything. And that's the ultimate freedom. It took a while. It's not easy. You create the systems, you create the processes. But I know now you actually coach other people as well. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with my coaching program, I'm actually wearing the hat right now. It's our caller six-figure formula. I've, I've done a lot of different coaching models, one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, the biggest thing that I saw was people were getting a success, but I wasn't reaching enough people. And I also started seeing, especially as Airbnb and short-term rentals got into the news, nothing was good about it, right? It was, oh, you know, party or shooting at a local Airbnb or right. Airbnb is, you know, destroying the neighborhood feel of our cities. And I decided to kind of change things. And basically, yeah, if you want to create financial freedom, if you want to create time freedom, you're going to get that with our membership. But also, I just want to create a community of right. the best hosts in the world cool. and people that will take their property seriously, that will pre-screen their guests so that they're not dealing with the party issues, that will price it properly so that they're not you know, just straight up money hungry or, or just desperate for money, which is attracting those bad guests. Like We want to create the best hosts in the world who are doing it in the most efficient way so that they ha also have time with their families or time to do the things that they love. So that's what the six-figure formula is all about, essentially teaching you either how to own, arbitrage, or co-host properties. So how to get the properties, how to set up your business, how to be able to pitch the landlords if you do go down the route of not owning the property, how to set it up, how to manage the day-to-day, -day, how to automate the day-to-day, -day, and how to hire the team so that you can scale the business. It's all based around what I call the force method. I built my business with the force method. The force method was something that was indirectly taught to me. It wasn't called the force method, but I just noticed that in every business, whether it was flipping or wholesaling or Airbnb or you know any other real estate investing strategy, everyone was doing the same thing. F, find, find the property, learn how to talk to the landlords, learn how to get the deal, learn how to be able to just find that property that you're going to list on Airbnb. O stands for operate. You have to, once you get that property, operate that property from the guest check-in to the cleaner turnover to furnishing it to any sort of damage claims, anything on the day-to-day, -day, restocking the items, all of that has to happen within that property. So learning how to do that. 
Then R, number three, stands for repeat. So I'm going to go and find and operate again. And once I find and operate about three or four times, I'm going to notice a few things. One, I'm doing the same things over and over and over. Guest says, can I check in early? Here's what I'm saying to that guest. Guest says, hey, is this property available? Here's what I'm saying to that guest. Guest asks for a discount. Here's what I'm saying to that guest. I'm saying the same things over and over, right? Then I'm also creating enough income to start looking at, hmm, could I hire someone to take over the things that I don't like anymore? I don't like talking yeah. to guests. I'm going to just be honest. When I hired a manager to come in and do guest communication, our star ratings went up, not down, because I'm not really great with hospitality. Everyone's like, oh, you must be really good at hospitality. I'm like, no, I'm good at delegating. You have to. Yeah. 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 So in the repeating, okay, find, operate, repeat. Now we start to systematize. That's the S. So it's not force, F-O-R-C, it's F-O-R-S-E. We systematize. We remove ourselves from the business. I remember there was right after COVID, there was this one moment where we had eight setups that were going on and I wasn't a part of any of them. Every single one of these setups getting the property put together for that first guest. All I had to do was go into the property on the day that the guest was checking in and give my final check of approval. And I realized, wow, I have a team that literally knows everything they need to do to get this done. All I have to do is now just feed this machine. I just need to get yeah. more. I need to get more properties. And that's at that point where I reached E, the final part, which is expand. And expand can look like this. You asked the question earlier, you know, why didn't you go to the Smoky Mountains? Why didn't you go to, you know, somewhere else, some other tropical place? Well, I could have at that point. That's part of expansion. Or I could say, let me double down. Let me 10X in my own backyard. And that's yep. what I decided to do. So we went from eight to fit, uh, to 25 properties in a span of four months. And then 25 to at our peak, we were at 60 properties here in Fresno in about two years. And now we've stabilized right around 50 properties, which is really a good place for my team without me having to hire a bunch more people or without me hiring, having to, to you know, worry about a whole lot of other things that go into growing a business. But long story short, that's what we teach in the six-figure formula is this force method and how to be able to create time and financial freedom while also being the best host possible. So that you can learn more about that at fearlesskyle.com slash 6FF. Love that. And Kyle, this is actually, I love frameworks. I was a consultant before. I love these frameworks because frameworks, they make, they, they give you a visual representation of what it is and, and give you a perception that things are easier. Now, each of these F-O-R-S-E, it's not easy. Finding the property, there's multiple frameworks inside of that, especially yep. creating systems. Most businesses fail because they are not able to systematize anything. That's really why most businesses fail. I mean, at least as a consultant, I can tell you that. And expansion, right? All of these things are very complex. The framework itself is very simple and it's designed to keep it simple so that people can wrap their mind around it. It's the same thing as in of three financial independence stages. Yeah. If you're starting from nothing and you want to go to, hey, I want to have enough money to do anything and everything with whoever I want to be, where I want to be, all is yeah. good. But if you're starting from nothing, to get to that point, it may sound good when you say it, but your mind may not be able to comprehend it. right? And that's why the framework So thank you about simplifying so, it. Well, that's I, think, I think there's a way to do your... You, I was thinking about it because I wrote F-O-R-C-E and I was trying to see if I can be ahead of you. I think C was C is creating systems, man. I was thinking about it. I'm like, how we could have done that? that? We could have done that. Um, so I, what I can say is, you know, from my dad, I learned a framework. He always talked about crawl, walk, run, right? You can't walk before you crawl. You can't run before you walk. And all the things that you just said there, whether it was, you know, the financial freedom, three stages, or the force method, the, the place that people get in trouble is they skip steps, yeah. right? I found a property, I learned how to operate it, and now I'm gonna go to expansion. I'm gonna, you know, in, I'm in Fresno, California now, I'm gonna go to San Diego, Correct. six hours away. Right Now, I, I've met so many people in this business that created their business wide instead of deep, and what are they? They're still in the EMIF, the technician of those businesses because they haven't created enough systems in one market to be able to say, hey, you COO or you cleaning manager or you handyman or you cleaner, you go do these things and I'll pay you to do them, right? right? Because there, there's not enough work. I had to create enough work for this to be at least a 20 to 40 hour a week job for one person to hold their loyalty to the business, 
And when I have one over here and two over here and five over there in these different states, that's not enough. So skipping over these steps is dangerous or going from fine to systematizing. How can you systematize something that you've never done before? Correct. So there's all these things that we try to skip steps because we want to get from stage one of financial freedom to stage three right away, but we can't do that. We have to go step by step in order to understand the process and to teach other people how to do exactly what we've already done. That's that To me, that's the best business. Completely innocent. Carl, Carl one, before we start, we're coming towards the end of our show here because of the time, not because of the material. I could talk to you for another three hours. It's going to be more, when you're sitting at this point in, in the business cycle, either economic cycle, where people are worried about whether Airbnb is the right path or not, and you see a lot of these uh, scary information that's coming out of the regulations, you know, California changing laws, every, every state is changing laws uh, on every different thing. How do you visualize if somebody were to get into it today? Yeah. Is it a good market? Because the Burr model doesn't necessarily work when the interest rates are 9%. Make it still work depending upon how you bought it. Uh, but when the interest rates are 2%, it was a little bit more appealing. 2 to 3% was much more appealing. But that model may, may or may not work for everyone. So when you look at Airbnb as a business right now, especially in the model that you're operating, do you see risks? And if you see them, I'm assuming you do, how do you sleep with those risks? Well, if there was a reward, there has to be a risk, right? If someone's trying to tell you like, oh yeah, there's a reward with no risk, then yeah. that me, that's just a scam. Even with the co-hosting model, even though I have no money involved, there's still risk. There's a risk of my reputation. There's the risk of, you know, we, we get sued, right? Like there's people walking through these homes and we're managing the properties. There's a lot of, di- there's a lot of different risks that come with owning a business. And that's why there's some people are employees and some people are entrepreneurs. If you're not willing to take the risk, then you're probably not an entrepreneur, Um uh, sorry, I've I've lost the question. Can you, can oh, the you, question was just what's yeah. happening? How do you see the risk? In oh, yeah, yeah. So if I were to get started today, yeah. So I, I actually just made a video of this on my Instagram. I don't know if my social media guy has posted it yet, but we did a, uh, here's what hosts would say back in 2021, right? Like everyone was feeling like you could make money with anything in 2021. Yeah. And I slapped a welcome sign up on an, an unfinished shed and said, hey, here's my new Airbnb. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you can make money anything in 2021 or before. You could put a teepee up and make money in Airbnb. It was crazy. Now today, that same three-bedroom, two-bath that's basic, that looks like it was built in the early 2000s or late 90s, that was making $4,000 a month is now making $2,500 a month, right? right. And, and now it, it makes more sense to do a lot of these less than luxury appealing properties as long-term rentals. And so you as, what that means is there's more risk for sure, going into it if you don't know your numbers. A lot of people would come into this business in 2021, not know their numbers, get a yes from a landlord and say, great, it's going to make money. And they were right. That same situation today is not the case. If, if I opened up on Zillow back in 2021, and I saw 100 houses, I knew I had 100 leads. Today, if I open up 100 houses, I might have five to 10 leads. And so knowing what the deal looks like, knowing what a deal versus a dud looks like is the most important part of this. And you you don't want to try to figure that out just through trial and error. You want to make sure that you know how to underwrite a deal, that you know right. what areas to look in, that you know for what red flags to look at when you're talking to landlords. You have to know all these things going into it or else you will end up spending $15,000 and now you're losing $1,000 a month because you underwrote the deal wrong. And so yeah. I, think, I think education is really you know the biggest part of that is just knowing how do I go from A to Z and how do I especially underwrite deals today and knowing what to look for that will actually work. Right. And I'll and give you a really good example, you know, um, here in Fresno, California, where I'm at, the reason we went from 60 houses down to now we're at like 48 to 50 was because some of those just started underperforming and we got rid of them. And, but one thing we noticed was our top 10% of properties are performing better than ever. They're doing amazing. And they've got really special things about them. They're super updated. They've got hot tubs. They've got a pool. They've got a really nice neighborhood. They've got great curb appeal. They're the top 10% of properties in our area. And for that reason, they're being rewarded. But those bottom 20%, you know, they, we had to kick them out to make room for some better properties. So sure. those, those are some of the things that as you get into it, you've got to be aware of. I, I love that. I think what you're basically saying is that I'm going to put words in your mouth, Kyle, is, is money to be made in any market. Yes. You just have to know how. Yep. That you need to figure out 
the risk changes, the risk reward equation changes in every market. And you can't go back in time. You can't say, I wish I invested in 2002, 2008, 2012, whenever, pick a time. And everyone has said that, I wish I bought the entire block. Well, you should have and you could have, but you can't anymore. So what are the next steps you're going to take to do next? You don't want to miss another ra- another cycle, right? You don't want to miss another trend. So you have to really get into the trend. You have to understand that. You have to eat and breathe the trend. Before you yeah. buy your first property and say that, I'm, I'm good, I'm going to go buy it. And I know it's going to be successful. But in your mind, you think, I'm hopeful it's going to be successful. The huge difference that I know versus I hope. Well, and, and Sagat, I want to give a little bit more context to this with a story. One of our students, John and Bethany, they live in Northern California and they got in with me as well. And, and we identified, hey, you know, the two, the three bedroom houses in your area just aren't going to make any money. And so they focused on those big five bedroom or bigger houses in their first property they got in month one, they netted over $3,000. And now today they've got eight properties that are netting over 2000. I think all, all of them are doing over $2,000 each. Yeah. Had they sat in those small, comfortable two, three, you know, two bedroom, three right. bedroom houses where the costs aren't as high to get started, they would have been losing money probably. So right. it's knowing those things going into the deals that can make all the difference. That is important. Well, Carl, I, I know your wealth of knowledge and we can continue talking because I love this topic. I love Airbnb as an asset class, but we have limited time here. So we're coming towards the end of our show, Kyle. Is there anything I should have asked you, which I didn't, because there's a possibility I didn't, which you think our listeners should be, could have added value to our listeners? Well, I, I mentioned that I'm just you know, passionate about entrepreneurial mental health. And, and I think the biggest thing, I actually heard about it, you know, and I'll reference the, the podcast from Brian Chesky recently with the Diary of a CEO. If you haven't listened yeah. to that, it was really, really good. And one of the things he said was, being an entrepreneur and, and this journey of taking Airbnb from zero to a billion dollar company was lonely, but it didn't have to be, right? And I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently who is just, I mean, he's setting the world on fire with what he's doing. He bought 40 houses this last year and he did it with other people's money. And he called me and he was like, you know, I'm just, I'm feeling burnt out and I don't feel like I'm doing enough. He's like, I don't know how to fight that off. And, and I was just like, so why are you doing it all? And he was like, I honestly don't know. I'm like, that's why you're feeling burnt out. And that's why you're feeling like yeah. it's not enough. Look back to when you were first starting and you wanted to make $20,000 a month, you're making almost $200,000 a month. And that's still not enough. It's because you haven't sat down and thought about why in the world am I even doing this? Correct. And typically when you ask those questions, those are, uh, again, those act sharpening moments. But those are some of the most revealing times in my life of why am I even doing this? And most of the time, it's either going to motivate you to do more or it's going to motivate you to now focus on what's most important to you in life, which isn't always working your butt off, which isn't always making money. Sometimes you're already to the goal that you need, which doesn't mean you have to stop working, doesn't mean you have to stop growing. It just means that you can focus on different things in life that challenge you without having to attach the idea of making money to it. So those are the things that I'm passionate about talking about. Love that, Kyle. And I would love to, I would encourage everyone to go check out Kyle's information. We'll include that in our resources below to make sure you have everything there. Kyle, there's a parting question, two parting questions. One is, what did you believe when you were a 20-year-old that you, if you heard that now, if the 20-year-old self would tell you now, you're laughing. What did I believe when I was 20 years old? Let me, let me, if it's okay, I want to rephrase the question. I didn't learn the term passive income until I was 26 years old. Sure. So I wish I would have learned that at 19, 20 years old or even earlier. I thought that you had to work in order to, to make money. I thought the people who were not working and still making money were, you know, they were gifted those things or they had, you know, just such a string of luck that, yeah. you know, and so I wish I would have learned the term passive income earlier. Perfect. And Kyle, last question is going to be, where do you believe humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the next few decades? Gosh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm the person asked that question. Where should humanity migrate? You know what? Actually, I, I do think I have an answer to that. I, I think the whole side of mental health has to be talked about more. And yeah. I think it's more widely accepted to have therapy in your life these days. But starting that early, I think, has to happen. I saw a video post on Gary V's Instagram recently where this woman said, hey, you know, my daughter's a teenager and I don't want her to be subjected to all the things of social media. So 
what do I do? Do I just give her a phone knowing it's going to happen or do I take the phone away from her? And he said, you could take the phone away from her and keep her in a bubble. And one day she's going to pop out of that bubble and she's going to go crazy. Or you could just build the crap out of her self-esteem so that she's not mentally subjected to those things. And I think it would be really great to see more messages like that to any generation, honestly, because I, I've met 60-year-old people that are the most sensitive people and can't, I, can't, get over, I, can't get over negativity, you know, but especially in the younger generation, it'd be really cool to, to see positive messages like that coming through, whether that's in therapy or, or just adding that to the school system, something of that nature. Yeah. Kyle, well, thank you again, buddy. Uh, on that high note, this is why I always like to end on that high note. The business is business, but people are people. And we all got to make sure we're, we're migrating towards the right place, whatever that means for us. Well, Kyle, thank you again for the time. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you again? Yeah, Fearless Kyle on Instagram. FearlessKyle.com is the website. And then on the podcast and YouTube channel, it's The Fearless Investor. Awesome. We'll make sure that information is included in the show notes below. For all the listeners, if you are listening to this part, thank you for staying throughout the podcast. Hopefully you took, you got as much value out of the episode as I did. Not just about an Airbnb, not just about model, but just about how to stay inspired, how to stay focused, and how to continuously chasing your why and figuring out what your why is. So Kyle, thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for sharing your insights. We appreciate it, man. I have a feeling we, you're going to be back pretty soon. My great to us listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangertofinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.